Hey, my name's Adam, and I am the West Shore Campus Pastor here at Coastline Church on beautiful Vancouver Island. Welcome to our podcast. All the content that you will find here is meant to point you to Jesus and encourage you in your journey wherever it is that you find yourself. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the message. Oh, West Shore family, it is so good to be here. Um, I miss you. I wish I could see you more, but I'm so glad to be here with you today. And uh, it's the ever-changing landscape of a growing, dynamic campus. Uh, what you're doing here is tremendous. And, you know, Shandy gave herself away as saying this wasn't her comfort zone, but didn't you feel like you were being nurtured and loved and pastored and mothered in a very healthy and loving way. So Shandy, you're amazing and we love you. And you just do you, girl, because we love it. We love it. We love it. So uh, I'm here to share a message that I preached downtown last week. And Pastor Adam was here, and he'll be preaching the message he preached here last week downtown. And so uh, it's a wonderful way for us to switch, to be able to hear different communicators, but also to take a piece that really represents our heart. And so today, uh, I'm going to be talking about the life of freedom that comes in Jesus. And that's in my heart. And so I'm really glad to uh, to come and share the message of freedom with you. Now, um, we're in this series, and, and kind of the series was based on the idea that we wanted to share our values. We want to share the things that are really key and really important to us as a family, um, and we called the series Family Vibes because it's just about being family. Who are we as a family? And so um, we talked in the very first week about our faith in Christ and our love for others because we want to be outward focused. We want to be transformed, and we want to be those who bring transformation to our world. And then uh, last week, I, um, uh, two weeks ago, I spoke downtown about knowing God. Pastor Adam would have spoken about that, about the gift of, of salvation, grace in Jesus Christ, transformation, reconciliation, blessing that comes because of what Jesus has done for us. Um, and now I'm here to speak the message on freedom. And last week, you would have heard Pastor Adam talk about making a difference, um, about uh, actually about discovering your purpose, and he used the character of Epaphras. Um, this whole series is rooted in Colossians. So if you want to journey with us, you can be reading Colossians. It's a really, it's a small, it's a little tiny book, but it's really rich. And there's a lot of really great stuff in there. So I'm going to be in Colossians again. I'm going to be in Colossians chapter 2. And I want to talk to you about a life of freedom. And the reason why is because Jesus didn't just come to save you, but to set you free. Amen? Yeah. He wants you free. He wants you to walk in freedom, to live in freedom, to exist in the freedom that he provides. And so we're going we're gonna to jump in now into uh, Colossians chapter 2, and I want to give you a picture of, you know, Paul's kind of, he, he has told us the beautiful story of redemption in chapter 1, you know, that, um, that, that you have been redeemed, you've been saved, um, and this was what the, what the work of Christ has done for you. And then he picks it up with a so then right here at the beginning of this. So he's saying, you know, you know from chapter one what salvation is. Let me pick it up and tell you what comes after that. So he's talking to Christians. Okay, this is important. He's talking to people who are already followers of Jesus. And he says this. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. This is what happens after. It's not just a moment and then I'm back to me. It's just, oh good, I got, I got um, a healthy dose of fire insurance. So when I die, I know where I'm going, right? 
There's something more here. He's saying, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And look at verse 7. This is a great verse. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, I really think verse 7 is starting to define the life of freedom. Because in my opinion, the life of freedom means that you have the power to live your life in Jesus. Your whole life lived in Jesus. Beautiful picture from, um, from verse 7 there. Did you see that? Rooted, built up, strengthened, overflowing with thankfulness. I love that image. And then I think the, the reason why I bring that, that picture, that, that verse to you, is because if we reflect honestly about our own journey, about our own day-to-day life, about our own faith story, We'd have to be honest, reflect honestly, and sometimes we'd have to say, I feel a little more tossed around than I do rooted. I feel a little more unsure than I do built up. I have moments where I feel weakness, not strength, and and I feel like I'm losing instead of overflowing with thankfulness. And and why do I bring that tension to the surface? And I I bring it because it, it really begs a question. With verses like this, like, hey, just keep on going, you're going to be rooted and built up and strengthened and... And then people live in the reality of their own lives. Why is it that so many Christians, although saved, seem to live addicted and broken and angry and fearful and sometimes even just really defeated? Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) I, I mean, maybe you're here and you're not even a Christian. You're so welcome, right? Um, This place is for you. Um, and God has a, a story to write with your life. I really believe that. But maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, and you kind of feel like, I've met those Christians, <laughs> the ones that are angry, rude, selfish, uncaring, not kind at all. And you might be thinking as, a, as someone who's not a Christian, looking and saying, yeah, like what is the difference? And, and, and so I want to explain, not just to those of you that are not believers, but to those of you that are. Why is this struggle real? Why is it that this happens where, where, where my life doesn't necessarily reflect what Paul's saying here, but maybe something other than? Why is it that I at times feel that I'm fighting, you know, to have freedom in my life? I'm angry. I'm fearful. I'm defeated. I'm addicted. I'm broken. And here's the bottom line. Because you can be saved and not free. That's why we don't stop with knowing God. You know, if you show up early to church, you'll see the, the, uh, the, the video that starts the service, and you'll see those four values that we carry so strongly, know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. We're on a journey, and that journey continues. And sometimes what we have to understand is, is that, you know, we can be saved and yet not free. And let me show you how that plays out in the next verse. Being rooted, established, you know, all of this, strengthened in your faith, overflowing with thankfulness. But then the next verse comes. And the next verse helps us understand. There is a challenge. Paul's talking to Christians here, and here's what he says in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. You know, in the King James Version, it says, see to it that no one spoils you. It's like rotten meat. It stinks, right? 
See to it that you don't find yourself as a captive. And, and, and how does that captivity happen? Through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition and the elemental forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now that verse kind of makes us pause a bit because we would say, yeah, that's how people are who aren't Christians. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to Christians. And the reason why he's doing this is because he's saying you can be on your way to heaven and yet living on earth as though you are a captive. Again, the question I asked you earlier, aren't you glad you came to church? This sermon is not about being a slave and being a captive. This sermon is about being free. But let's recognize where we can be at times and realize there's more for me in Jesus than that. So I want you to travel with me. I'm going to look back at verse 8 now, and I want to give you a little bit of insight. I felt like the Holy Spirit took some of the phrases from verse 8 um, and, and, and connected them with ideas surrounding how it is that sometimes we find ourselves as captives. And I want, to, I want to share that with you. So this verse offers amazing insights, and let's look at it. Let's look at verse 8 again. It says, it starts by saying, see to it that no one takes you captive. What that says to me is that people can take me captive. It can be people, people in my life who take me captive, enslave me in some way. And he goes on to say here, through deceptive philosophy. Listen, people can take me captive, but a wrong perspective can also take me captive. And then it continues on. That, has to, that depends on human traditions. Traditions are established over time. Listen, the past can take me captive. And all of this happens, if you, if you finish out the verse, this captivity happens because there are spiritual forces at work in the world, and the real battle continues to go on for my freedom. And that's what Paul is saying here. People can take me captive. A wrong perspective can take me captive. My past can take me captive. But here's the good news. Jesus wants you free. He wants you free. In fact, what did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except me. And he also said this in, in John 8, 32. He said, then you will know the truth, which is himself. He just said, I'm the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus wants you free. Later on in that same passage, he's talking to Pharisees. He's trying to get these religious people to see beyond themselves. He says, listen, you know the truth. The truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, verse 36, you're free indeed. If Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. But sometimes we come to Jesus and we want salvation, but we don't really understand that the full submission of my life means that I walk into his truth, submitting myself to his truth, and then I begin the life of freedom. There's freedom for me in Jesus. And Paul taught this to the Galatians. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And here's what he says then out of that. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That's captivity. Stand firm. Jesus set you free. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. Stand firm. Be careful. There's a yoke of slavery out there. Do you understand what a yoke is? It's, a, it's like a harness. It was used in agriculture, and they would take two animals and put them together. Or they use it to pull a cart, to pull a plow, to whatever, to pull something heavy. And they'd put these two animals that were of equal size, put them together, 
and it was like double strength, right? And so, so the Bible uses this picture to talk about being connect, harnessed to something. And it says, listen, don't allow yourself to be harnessed like a slave. Don't, don't, don't allow yourself to become a captive, right? So Jesus didn't come only to save you, but to set you free. I said that earlier. Do you understand what this is saying? Don't let yourself be yoked again be burdened again like you were before you were a Christian. Don't, don't allow that to happen to you again. Stay free. Don't become a captive. And, and the reason why I know this is true is because Jesus tells us very clearly in John 10.10 about himself and about the adversary. He says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That sounds like captivity to me. But Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. The full life of Jesus is a life of freedom. You don't have to be a slave. Don't let yourself be yoked as a slave. Let me explain this to you in a way that I think roots it in your mind, okay? You see, we serve a God who is revealed as we call, this is the a Trinitarian doctrine, we, we see God revealed as Father, Son, and Spirit. Perfect. Co-equals. Functioning as one. Yet with distinction. And, and we as humans, are created in God's image. That's what the Bible says. That's what God's intention was, was to create you in his image. So you are triune, if you will, in an imperfect way. You are body, you are soul, and you are spirit. And so you, you image your father, you image your God, you image father, son, and spirit in this imperfect manner as body, soul, and spirit. So Here's, here's what I want you to see. When you become a Christian, when you submit your life to Jesus and say, it's his will, not mine. I will serve him. I give my life to him. He redeems you. He saves you. Your spirit, the Bible says, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Your spirit is made perfect, ready for heaven, like this moment, right now. Your spirit is perfect. But here's the deal. You still have a body. And that body still wants stuff. It still has passions and longings and desires. And you have a body and you have a soul. And the soul is where your emotions live, where your will exists. And the will is determined by what's stronger, the flesh or the spirit. And, and so your soul is in the middle like a rope in a tug of war, right? <clears throat> the old guys won the tug of war at uh, Coastline Camp just saying... We almost lost. But then the Lord, it was like Samson. It was like the spirit of the Lord came upon us. And we pulled with all of our might. Anyway. Um, and so your soul is in the middle being pulled, right? And so your spirit is perfect, but your body and, and certainly your soul need freedom. Okay? So when we talk about freedom, we're talking about that next step in the life of fullness. And so um, I want to give you more good news. I shared with you some things that the enemy wants to use to enslave you. But I want you to know the things the enemy uses to enslave you, Jesus will use to free you. And let me explain what I mean. We talked about 
you know, people and a wrong perspective and the past. And let me just walk you back through that now and show you how the redemption of Jesus begins to take root in those things. Because I want you to understand, yes, the wrong people will lead you into captivity, but Jesus will use the right people to help you live free. Amen? You need people in your life. Did you know that? You need godly brothers and sisters to walk with you. And here's the thing. Sometimes we have a bad experience. Sometimes things go sideways. Sometimes we're dealing with something. And, and often what we do in those times is we draw away from people into isolation. Sometimes we've had a bad experience and the enemy says, you can't trust anybody. And so we draw away and we live our lives alone. And that's the trap the enemy wants to use to take you captive. Because if you don't have the right people in your life, then it's only the wrong people that are around you and you are now taken captive. But here's the deal. The truth is you need godly friends to support you. You need them. You need a small group. In fact, let me just say this. You need a small group because you got to have a place where you're honest. Because honesty is the pathway to freedom. Right? you got to have a place where you can be honest where you can share and be heard and, and, be, and be loved and be supported, be prayed for. And the, the truth is you're going to be more honest in a small group than anywhere else. Listen, you can, you can come into this room, you can sit down, and you can leave and have zero relationship with people, and that's your option. But when you're sitting around the room and people are saying, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? You're known, you're needed, you're loved, you're... you're, you're you're in relationship. It's the place where you're going to be vulnerable and honest. It's a beautiful thing, and you need that. The power of small group is, is that it's the best place for you to get freedom. It's the best place for you to live in freedom. And you don't have to take my word for it. Let me show you in the scriptures. Here's what the Bible says in James 5, 16. I love this verse. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, come on, everybody, what's that word? Healed that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, this is, why, this is why you need that small group. This is why you need people in your life because you need to be able, you confess to Jesus for your salvation. Like he's the one who saves you. But in your confession to one another, in your conversation, in reflection on your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses, your needs, your sin. When I say, I am struggling here, pray for me. I'm tempted, I'm broken. I'm, 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 I'm struggling with my thought process on this. All of a sudden, people get around you that that righteous prayer is powerful. It's powerful. So you need good, godly people in your life and so that you can live free. So, you know, the enemy wants to use the wrong people to enslave you. God has every intention, and our desire is to help you find the right people that you can live in freedom with. Amen? It's good preaching, Andy. I feel like, I feel like inspired and convicted. I feel motivated. I'm doing it. We said before, the wrong perspective can, can lead you into captivity. But listen, God can give you a transformed mind. He can give you a transformed mind. I mean, that's what the scriptures say in Romans 12, 1. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love the way that the NLT version says this. It says, be transformed by changing the way you think. I, did you know that you have the power to choose what you think about? 
Some of you are going, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm just in the shower and bang, there it is, right? Whoa, what happened? I woke up with that one on my mind. Yeah, I understand that thoughts can, can, can uh, ruminate in the mind. But I want you to know this verse promises me a different option. I don't have to be victimized by my own perspective. I don't have to be controlled by my own thoughts with God's help. I can change the way I think and I can choose what I think about. Because I have the power of God working in my life. I don't have to be victimized. I guarantee you there are people out there and they have no power to choose what they think. But if you're a follower of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, you can change the way you think because you can have a renewed mind. Yeah, you can have a renewed mind. Some of you are going like, wow, man, I don't know that I've ever heard this before. Again, don't take my word for it. Let me show it to you in the scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Paul's talking about all of these wrong perspectives that are existing in the church. And here's what it's, he says. He says, we, talking about him and the other believers with him, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's like you're in a wrestling match with your own thoughts. You be obedient to Christ. You're fighting for this. You can say, I'm not going to think that way. And that's true because it rhymes. You can say, I'm not going to think that way. Why don't you bump your neighbor and tell him that? You can say, I'm not going to think that way. You guys are not very good at participation games. <laughs> A little disappointed, must say. You can say, I'm not, I am not going to think that way. I'm just, no, no. Nuh-uh, I'm taking that thought captive. I'm making it obedient to Jesus. Now, that's great for me to say, but I want to help you. I want to be practical with you. So allow me a moment just to give you a few thoughts. I'm going to give you four quick rapid-fire thoughts on how you can do this. And if you want to write something down, this might be good to write down because this is going to be Bible and this is going to be empowering for you to say, I'm going to take authority in my own mind, between my ears. This space, I'm going to take authority here. So this is very practical. How do I choose what I think? How do I get to choose what I think. How do you choose what you think? First thing is this. You got to let God wash your mind. You let God wash your mind because God has the ability through his word to cleanse the mind. Did you know that? Sometimes there's too much garbage in there. We're taking in garbage. We have to, we have, to have our minds washed. Some of you go to work and by the end of the day, you're like, I need a brainwash. I mean, you know, not a brainwash, but a washed brain right? I need some cleansing in the mind here. I've been, I've been taking in garbage all day. I need to let the word of God wash my mind. You know, when, when Paul begins to describe what Christ does for the church, how he beautifies the bride, which is who we are, he begins to express this beautiful concept of washing that comes. And, and this washing includes the mind, but it fills the whole being. This is what Christ is doing in beautifying the body, I, I was with a friend this, um, this week who's a preacher, and he, he has a call to beautify the body. And, um, and, and so he challenges pastors and leaders, and he was preaching to us, and he said, he said I, I'm here to get the bride ready for, for, the, you know, for the, the wedding day. And he says, and she's not there yet. He says, 
She's getting there. She's on the treadmill. She's doing keto. She's getting ready. But I want you to see what Paul says here in regard to what Jesus is actually doing with the bride. Let God's word wash your mind. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And why did he do that? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Do you see that? That's the washing. It's the water of the word of God. It's like cleansing water. And this is to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Let God's word wash your mind. And let that happen regularly because that's going to empower you now with new ideas and new thoughts, freshness from God's word that will combat those negative thoughts. That's one way that you choose what you think. Another way is this. Be careful about what you agree with. Did you know there's power in agreement? And I have to be careful what I agree with. When I'm looking at social media, I need to decide. I mean, there's all kinds of statements out there. Do I agree with them? I mean, have I, have I let the word wash my mind? And as I'm reading this, is, is this something I can agree with? Sometimes we agree first and then decide whether we should have. Too late. Say, hold on a second. I'm reading this. Do I agree with this? When I'm watching movies, do I agree with this? I need to be careful about the documentaries I watch and agree with because they obviously might have an agenda behind them. When I'm reading, when I'm reading or watching the news, when I'm talking or, or seeing or viewing politics and politicians, I need to ask myself, is this something that I agree with? And we need to be careful about what we agree with. And uh, when other people share their ideology, we should be really careful that we're not agreeing with a wrong ideology because that will pollute our, our minds, keep us from being able to choose what we think. Uh, you, you know, uh, we live in a world now where, where they would say, you know, that you cannot disagree. Disagreement is hate. You can disagree, my friend. You can disagree with your world. You can disagree with the news. You can disagree with the ideology that is being pressed upon you. You choose what you're going to believe as a Christian. And that's how you choose what you think. Because the world would be very happy to tell you what you should think, especially right now. But friends, be a Christian first and a Canadian second. And decide that I'm going to make sure that I'm empowered as a believer in Jesus to choose what I think. And I'm going to be careful about what I agree with. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's your right. Hold on to that. Jesus bought that for you. Don't give it away. Don't give it away. Third thing is add confession to your prayer life. And yes, okay, I, I walk through confession with Jesus about what's going on in my life. I confess my sin. That's how I'm saved. Um, and I'm thankful for that. I confess uh, my, my need to God, my brokenness. Uh, I, I keep short accounts with God. But that's not really what I'm talking about. Adding confession into your prayer life, what I mean by that is you can add, like it says of Jesus before Pilate, you can add the good confession. It says that he made a good confession before Pilate. What was that good confession? I am the son of God. That was the good confession. And you can make a good confession. Listen, when you're praying, it doesn't always have to be about the brokenness of the world and the mess of your life. You can pray a good confession. In fact, if you're feeling perplexed or confused, why don't you start with this statement? 
Here's what I know to be true. Start there. That God, you are good and you are Lord over it all. You're creator, you're alpha, you're omega, and you have made me to be victorious. No weapon formed against me will prosper. I will stand. I will see the goodness of the, of the Lord in the land of the living. I will be the head and not the tail. I believe in your redemption, right? That's my positive, my good confession. And that's how I regain the power to choose what I think. Because I may not know a lot of things, but there's a few things I do know. And it's that God, you are who you say you are. And I'll rehearse the good confession. And then finally, this one's from Lisa. She uses it all the time with our kids and with her husband. And it's this. Use Philippians 4.8 as a filter for your thoughts. You know, you might be saying, Andy, this is all really good. And I appreciate the Tony Robbins encouragement to, you know, go out there and get them, guys. Um, but I want to know this is rooted in Scripture. So let me share with you the, the uh, blessing that, the, that Paul gives to you to choose what you think, because it's right here in Philippians 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what does it say? Think about such things. Now, why is this important? Because we're dealing, I think this is an important concept, guys. Okay, the idea that you can empty your mind is, uh, <laughs> it's, it's false. You can't empty your mind. If you empty your mind, it's just going to get filled up with something else. So what the Christian worldview does is it doesn't try to empty our minds in order to find peace. We're called to fill our minds with the right things. We're called to fill our minds with good things. We're called to fill our minds with what is noble and true and right and praiseworthy and, and anything that's excellent. These are the things we fill our minds with because you can fill up your mind with good things and guess what? There's peace. Or you can fill up your mind or allow your mind to be filled with all kinds of things that will steal your peace. So I've spent a long time on this because I think it's a battleground for freedom, right? Your mind is, is a beautiful thing. It's also a challenge. So, okay, here's my third thought. We talked about being taken captive by people. We talked about being um, taken captive by a perspective. And the third thing we said is that your past will also attempt to take you captive. And so let me explain. Here's the thing. Your past will attempt to take you captive, but Jesus can use your past to shape your future. He can use your past to shape your future. And, you know, I, I want to just give you an example of this in the scripture. In John chapter 5, Jesus heals a paralytic man. And uh, by the way, if you're getting squirmy, I'm almost done, okay? Um, Jesus heals a paralytic man in John chapter 5, and he says something to him very, very interesting. He's, he, he invites him to do something with his healing. So Jesus heals him, and here's what it says. Then Jesus said to him in verse 8, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. He followed the instructions of Jesus. But I want you to understand this. We're talking now about your past. There is nothing that this paralytic hated more than that bed of suffering. And there's nothing that he would have wanted to do more than to leave that bed of suffering right there and run away from it. And sometimes when we look at our past, we say, I hate that past. 
I hate what happened to me. And I want you to know, I want to say this very carefully. I don't want to make small of the pain that you've suffered. Okay? I understand that there's some serious uh, brokenness from our past. Deep pain. And I just honor you as you, as you try to, to work through your healing in that. But I hope this image will help you. Because sometimes what we try to do with our past is we just want to destroy it. We don't want to remember anything about it. We, don't, we just want it gone. Probably like that paralytic, when he jumped up and his legs were working, he was like, I don't need that anymore. But Jesus said, I want you to go back. I want you to roll it up. I want you to tuck it under your arm. And here's what I want you to, to see, is that when Jesus comes and heals you, sometimes his healing includes the strength to carry the past. Because when you tuck it up under your arm and you walk, you testify. You testify. Your life is a testimony. You walk out a testimony. When that paralytic went leaping and jumping and praising God, he did it to the glory of God in a testimony to say, you remember me? I was this broken person. And now look. And so maybe in your life, the way that the Lord is going to shape your future is by using your past. That you would be healed and that he would get glory through your testimony. Amen? I do want to pray with you. As we bring the message to a close, I want to pray with you. But I also want to share something with you. Um, it's, a, it's just a short little one-minute video clip from a testimony from someone from our church named Ian. I think he and Callista are here today. And um, Ian shares very bravely, very bravely, about his journey from brokenness into freedom. And I just want you to see this, and I'm going to make one point out of it, and we're going to pray. So take a look at this video. When I was little, I'd heard about Jesus, and if you would have asked me, I maybe would have said that I was a Christian or that I was, like, a good person. But I never really had a relationship or followed him. By the time I got to high school, I basically walked away from my faith altogether. I started using drugs occasionally, and that then turned into a daily thing. One night, I had enough. I was just at the end of myself, exhausted, just done. I tried to overdose and end my life. And as I was at home alone in my house, dying and life slipping away, I cried out and said, Jesus, if you're real and if you save me, I'll give up all of this and give my life to you. Immediately, I was awake and sober. I felt the spirit fall on me and this love that I'd never experienced in my life. I was just so like shocked and surprised. And uh, I grabbed my Bible and started reading it and started praying and just giving thanks that I was alive. From that night, everything changed. That God-shaped hole that I was trying to fill so many different ways for so many different years was finally full. I'm so thankful that I met Jesus. Yeah, can we, yeah, let's thank Ian for his story. That's very brave to share that story. 
And I, I don't want to hold up his story to say to you that's going to be your journey because it may not be the same. It may not be a, a, a sober moment and a, a healed body. There may be a journey for you. But what I, what I really want to say to you, because we're going to pray together now, I don't want you to underestimate the power of a single prayer. Because God can use this moment. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me. And I felt like as I was uh, preparing this message, the Lord, the Lord gave me a, a picture. And it's a very simple picture. And it, it, it's simply this. I want you to think about it like a pebble in your shoe. Uh, have you ever had a pebble in your shoe? You can ignore it. You know, if you're like me, you kind of just shake your foot and try to get it in the right place, maybe off the side. Or my favorite spot is right under my toes, you know, because there's a little bit of a spot. You can just kind of curl around it and keep going. Isn't it amazing that we do that? It's like there's a rock in our shoe, but we just kind of deal with it. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to say to you that some of you are managing your lack of freedom really well. Yeah, exactly. But there's a rock in your shoe. And what's happening today is Jesus is saying, why don't you sit down? Even though I just told you to stand. Why don't you sit down and take the rock out? I have freedom for you. I have freedom for you. So it may not be today that you're like, my life is in shambles and I'm a mess. And maybe you are. And I want you to know this prayer for you is still powerful and effective. But I think there's a lot of us that are just managing fine with the lack of freedom. We've become accustomed to it. And what the Holy Spirit is saying is, you can be free indeed. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Fully free. Yoke of slavery, gone. Captivity, gone. That's what Jesus wants for you. And that's your testimony. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, I just know that you see each one of us so beautifully and individually. You know exactly where we are today. You know the area that by your spirit you're desiring to touch and to heal. And so I pray in the name of Jesus for a vulnerability before you now. Hear us, oh God, as we pray. And touch us in Jesus' name. Heal us. Lord, we ask you to come and do a supernatural work. And may this prayer be like a righteous prayer that is powerful and effective. Lord, we decide together today, I'm not going to live with that anymore. I'm not going to be um, uh, yoked to that. I'm not going to be enslaved by that. I'm not going to be taken captive by that. I'm not going to allow that to spoil me. I'm taken off my shoe. I'm taking out the pebble. I want to live in freedom. It is for freedom that you have set me free. And so I receive that in the mighty name of Jesus. And so I pray for each person across the room that right now a great joy in the fullness of your, uh, your gift of freedom to us would be given to us, Lord. That, Lord, you have come to bring us life to the fullest. We want it. We want to live in you. We don't want to just be saved. We want to be free and to be a testimony for you. Heal brokenness from the past, we pray in Jesus' name. 
give somebody in here the capacity to carry what they could not carry before, that, that you might get the glory and that your name might be made famous in the earth. Lord, we pray that you would bring us into godly relationship with great conviction, that we would be vulnerable and honest and free because of that in Jesus' name. And that, Lord, our thinking, oh God, our thinking wouldn't rule us, but we would rule our thinking. That, Lord, you'd put us back in the driver's seat and that you would shape our perspective and our philosophy on life. And we thank you for giving us a biblical worldview, a biblical ideology, that we are Christians first. So teach us how to live in this world, we pray. And this is for your glory, Lord, because you are beautifying your bride. So do that now, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.